This episode of Inspiration Point is brought to you by the Quests and Chaos Podcast Network and the generous patrons over on patreon.com slash inspiration point. So we'd like to give a big shout out to Punching Potato, Garlic Bread, Eric, Dragon Workshop, Spike, and Red Dead Coquette. And at our Muse $20 level, we'd like to thank Prostaskias, Leroy, Kate, Jeremy, Jenna, Jacob, Falangor, and Cheryl. Thank you for helping us bring a little inspiration out into the world. And now, on with the show. All right, we're back for another episode. How are you feeling, dearie? <laughs> I'm feeling just fine, dearie. How about yourself? <laughs> you, I'm doing wonderfully. Um, uh, yes, today we're going to talk about <laughs> hags. Um, so, I have had an, a, a fairly unremarkable week, I guess. I've been playing lots of Baldur's Gate. Um, how about you? What have you been doing this week? Uh, playing a lot of Persona 5 Royal, but I did spend the weekend uh, up in Arcata, which was nice because it was cooler than it is here. That's about a five-hour drive north of here uh, to be part of an SCA event to put our new king and queen on the throne. So... That was cool. It was a good time. Uh, faced down a, a fear that I've had for about a decade and realized it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. So things are looking up. Okay. Well, um, did you uh, do any fighting? That was exactly the, the fear. So I haven't been in armor in the SCA for about a decade at this point. Oh, um, my gosh. Yeah. In large part because I got my arm broken fighting. Mm -hmm. And um, and then the coming back from that was, let's say, handled less than well. I was doing my best, and then I got my legs kicked out from under me a little oh. bit. I I, I I can actually go ahead and talk about this because he because he's talked about this fairly frequently. Someone who is now a very dear friend of mine um, was prince of my area at the time and I was coming back from you know having had a broken arm and I was having a hard time with it because like I would call good on a shot but I wasn't loud enough so people wouldn't hear me and so then I would turtle up put my sword and shield over my head while backing up and yelling good until they stopped hitting me <laughs> which is a perfectly reasonable response <laughs> Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, just turtle up. <laughs> just you know, turtle up until they stop hitting you. But it it wasn't it wasn't great, and there wasn't a lot of like training to work through the mental blocks that I was having because I love the SCA very much, but combat, especially in like the more removed areas, is kind of catch as catch can. What is what do you mean by that? I don't know that um, idiom. There's not really um, a regimented training. That happens. It's more, uh -huh. you know, whoever's around who happens to know how to do a thing teaches you how to do a thing. So you pick up gotcha. the idiosyncrasies of the people who are around you. Um, and it's, you know, catching whatever is there. So catch as catch can. I guess it's the same as D&D &D tables in a lot of ways. You know, you know, your your entire outlook on what the game is supposed to be might be completely different based on who you've who, you know, and who you've played with. Yeah, exactly. So I was uh, I was having a hard time with it, and uh, it was it was a, a practice at someone's house. We were chilling in a hot tub afterwards, and this guy who was the prince at the time looked at me and said, "If you don't stop displaying fear on the field, I'm going to take your fighter card away." 
Mm. And he and he was the prince. He had the right to do that. Mm-hmm. And that that got in my head because it was it was it, it really messed with me. I did a little bit after that, but I finally just put everything down and said, "This isn't fun." I I hear that in my head all of the time, and I, and I can't do this. Mm. So I packed up my armor in the purple duffel bag and put it away, and I hauled it through a move and put it in storage and haven't really looked at it since. But then recently you did? I did. I went out to the storage unit and I got it and I took it with me this weekend to show to um, someone who I trust with my my life and my sanity and dropped it in front of him and said, help me look at this. What's legal? What needs to get fixed? And I need to put the helmet on and get hit and see if I can do this. He didn't let me put the helmet on because the padding is so degraded that Mm. it it would have caused an injury. So it's kind of like football helmets. You have to like get rid of them after every couple of years. Yeah. I mean, these are metal helmets, so you can tear the the padding out and replace it and then, you know, it's fine. But he also looked at that and said, it's not illegal. I can't <laughs> take it away from you, but that helmet is too big for you and we're going to have to pad it to heck and back in order to make it safe. Mm-hmm. So... Um, but I'm going to go out to his place and spend a couple days out there building stuff. And once once I feel like, you know, my stuff is ready enough, I'm going to put it all on and I'm going to let him hit me and see if I can see if it see if it's something that I can do. And if I can, then cool. And if not, then it's time to pass that armor on. But the coolest part was that I put the breastplate on and I I mean, it's been 10 years. The shape of my body has changed. That's just the way that it is. Sure. And it still fit me almost nice. perfectly. That's super cool. That that was a really good feeling to put it on and kind of like roll my shoulders and move around and be like, oh, no, this fits really well. <laughs> now, it was originally set up to go over a fairly thick padded jacket, uh, a gambeson uh, yeah. that I wear underneath it. I don't need that thick padded jacket. I'm not fighting outside at 20 below ever again. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't need something that uh, beefy. Right. Yeah. You can just go for it. Yeah. I, I, I'll probably put together a jacket that's like a couple of layers of, of linen just to, you know, have that between me and the armor because uh, I, I have a full breastplate. It's a leather breastplate with uh, steel plates underneath. And he looked at that and said, yes, it covers your collarbones. It covers your ribs. It covers because the only thing that you are required to cover in SCA combat as far as your torso is your kidneys. Really? Yep. You are not required to cover your bones. Okay. It's a good idea, too, but it's not required. <laughs> but kidneys are a particular liability, huh? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, and that, and yeah, that's a big part of it is the liability aspect because like we all sign waivers, but of still, course. but there's only so much you can do. Yeah, exactly. Well, um, it sounds like uh, part of your uh, of your personal story, your journey as you're digging up your old weapons, as Kratos did, and uh, many other heroes before that. <laughs> Well, we'll see. We'll see how the follow through goes, because it may well be that I put it all on and, you know, go through a couple of slow passes and go, this does not spark joy. Mm, gotcha. And and if that's the case, it's a good breastplate. It should go to someone who's going to use it. And yeah. I want that to be me. But, you know, it could go anyway at this point. Well, I wish I had some advice for you to talk <laughs> about how to get your head into 
combat, but uh, I am woefully unexperienced in this <laughs> in this way. I did some fencing in uh, at the tail end of high school and for a little while afterwards, um, saber fencing specifically, and I really cool. enjoyed it. But it was extremely safe. I mean, it was just the sport. You know, like you really couldn't like injure yourself. Unless you were like jamming it in your eye. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that is one way to injure yourself doing that stuff. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I thought I was so cool when I was like, you know, 18 and I would only wear like the the half jacket to expose my arms because it looked great. And then (laughs) and then I'd be like, yeah, when they hit me in the arm and I get welts, that's a good way to teach me to, to defend, you know. And now I'm like, man, that kid was cringe. <laughs> ah, I see that that the bruise thing goes between all of the combat forms. Because man, I, I I got I would get some good bruises as a as a heavy <laughs> fighter, and you know, it, it was one of those things where I was like, cool. Now I know where I need to work on blocking. Back of my left leg. Everyone likes <laughs> to do a rising freaking. Um, butt wrap and it would always hit me like right at the back of the thigh and oh boy there was one time i had uh, a bruise just one large bruise all the way from the bottom of my butt all the way down to the back of my knee (laughs) that was not fun (laughs) so a femur length bruise yep from lots and lots of people taking that opening because part of it was that i didn't know how to use my shield effectively and part of it was that i didn't have a good shield because it was Basically shaped like your your traditional heater shield with the two points and then like the curve down to the the last point. Yes. Um, except that the bottom the, the bottom tip of it was cut off. It was rounded at the bottom instead of having that point. And that point is there so you can pick up the shots without having to move your arm very much. Mm. And so we learned why that was important. Yes, and then I got one like that. Uh, it was a very heavy shield because I was going to Penzik. It was a war shield. Um, but that leg didn't get hit as much. Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so it was hard, hard to sit down for a while. Uh, yes, and and laying down on my back was like, nope. Oh, that sounds horrible. <laughs> Jeez, I love sleeping, yeah. and I, uh, I I need to lay down for that. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of important. It's fortunate that I'm I've always been more of a side sleeper. There is that. There is that. Yeah, I've uh, I, I've I've never bashed my head in for fun. Um, <laughs> you know, I did one year of football in high school. I was not good at it, uh, but then I would go on to be the 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 Shakespeare Festival MVP. You know, so we we did some <laughs> some pivoting. <laughs> In that time. We we have strengths in different areas, and getting your head bashed in wasn't and isn't your strength, and that's fine. That's, yeah. I'm definitely not a fighter or a barbarian, you know. <laughs> I, I like my bard life, even though I can't do music. So, whatever. It's some kind of charisma class. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I do have to agree with what people have been gently pushing at me. I'm very much a paladin. Uh-huh. Yes. Oh, man. Well, I mean, it's the best class. So um, congratulations. Oh, it's a good class. Cleric, I find cleric to be more versatile. Uh, Yeah, for sure. I I mean, okay, it's the it's the best class outside of broken tier cleric. (laughs) What if I had a class that just did everything? Ah, yes. Well, a friend of mine is going to uh, (laughs) 
My friend Dan, who who is on, who uh, is the handler for the redacted reports, is running a grand experiment that is, I think, a little bit insane, but I love it. He's running like I think it's five separate games that are all in the same server. So it's twenty five people split between five games, but we're all part of the same guild. Um, so we can like move people around within within the games uh, as people have needs to change their the, the nights that they're recording or the the nights that they're playing and stuff. Um, my good friend Ben, he, uh, the, he, he was part of a, he was part of a game where three of the five pl- uh, players got TPK'd. Well, so it wasn't a TPK, they just got killed. Yes, well, it was right. a partial TPK. Right. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the casters, two of the casters ran and the other three of them got, got eaten by a demon hyena. Oh, Awesome. That's great. <laughs> so now, Ben, having heard me talk about Keladre for the last couple of years, is bringing in a Twilight Cleric. <laughs> yeah, right. And I was like, okay, first thing you need to know, uh, Twilight Sanctuary is broken. Use <laughs> <It's> it. <laughs> right. Temporary HP is something that is like underutilized in 5e, but it's such a great mechanic. It really is. Um, I really like it. They do a good job of bringing it into uh, Baldur's Gate 3. I did something really cool in the game right before we got on that I have to tell you about. Um, and this is just as like one example of how fun and interesting the, the combat is in that game. Uh, I went into this um, sort of cavern chamber and we were ambushed by some archers on a highly elevated platform. And, and they were rain, and there's a big chasm between us, right? And so you can't just run up and get them. Uh, I've been playing a warlock for my first uh, playthrough, so when it finally came to to my to his turn, um, I misty stepped all the way up to the platform, and, <laughs> and then I used an ability because uh, I forgot to mention all three of them had turned invisible after firing on us. Oh, and so, brutal! And so I, I, I misty stepped up there and then I used an ability that I have and I don't want to spoil things, but basically allows me to uh, knock everything around me backward uh, or away from me, I should say. And so I, I teleported up there. I did the spell and all three of those archers invisible went flying off into the cavern to their doom. Yes. And that just felt amazing. That was super cool. And then I just rained down Eldritch Blast on people from my new perch, <laughs> you know, which was just great. Um, oh. Uh, it's been fun. I'm hoping to order the the, the parts for uh, my desktop sometime this week. Maybe we'll see. Yeah, well, it's it'll be worth it. It would be worth it. And uh, we could play together if you wanted to, because there is multiplayer. That would be um, really fun. That was really cool. Yeah. The very first time I sat down to play after release, one of our patrons, uh, Fallon Gort, jumped into my game. <laughs> and because I had, I guess by default, it was on public. And turns out you can't remove them from the party uh, once they've joined. Oh. To prevent shenanigans, right? And so I had to right away start a new playthrough in order to play the game by myself. But, uh, hey, I, it was still fun hanging out and playing with them. You know, that was cool. So if we ever do that again, we'll just load that one up. <laughs> there you go. 
Yeah, I would absolutely love to. I've been hearing, I mean, obviously I've been hearing so many good things about the game. I've also been hearing a lot of fun about, hearing about how much fun it is to like grab a group and just roll out as an adventuring party. Like, how cool. It is super cool. And the the way that the game's sort of physics are set up allows for lots of shenanigans and nonsense for you to pull off if you're really, really creative and you know what's going on. Um, you know, you've probably seen this in your social media feeds, but one really popular thing is to shapeshift into an owlbear and then to like jump down on your enemies from like a super high point and it basically one shots anything in the game. That's incredible. No, so I hadn't <laughs> seen that one. I love that. So they call it owlbear from off the top rope. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so stuff like that is like super fun. Like finding weird ways to use like mage hand and telekinesis, you know, they just do a really good job. And, and then, of course, there's all the like Bioware romance stuff. So, you know, it's just it's got everything. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to it. I'm hoping I'm coming up on a gig uh next uh, starting next week so i won't have time to really like build anything for a bit but i'm hoping after that's done that i can just like sit down put things together and be like i have a desktop i'm gonna play now it's gonna we're gonna do this if you listener want to help tiana build her dream computer so she can to <laughs> play Baldur's gate 3 please join us at patreon.com <laughs> uh also again we'll be starting uh, another campaign soon. Yeah, that'll be fun. Something to think about. Um, so uh, one of the really fun things that has been in uh, Baldur's Gate 3 and uh, without getting really spoilery is they do a really good job using a hag character. And um, again, I'm not going to get into how she is or who she is or how she's introduced or whatever, uh, but let's say they did their research let's say they did they did their their duty in delivering on the fantasy and horror of this very interesting mythological creature beautiful segue <laughs> thank you <laughs> thank you uh the the hag uh they got me thinking and i found myself not planning for a hag encounter uh, during one of my last uh, D&D campaigns I was running, uh, but it came up. It just, it struck me that it would be a good opportunity. Uh, they were they were traveling in the icy wilderness of the north, right? Uh, trying to find something. And and I had uh, their, their ranger roll a survival check and they rolled poorly. So they kind of got off track. And I was like, okay, mm. well... Something interesting should happen while they're off track. And so I describe this old shack that they see in the distance and the light and a very large creeping shadow that exists there. And they approach and they see the, the, the old woman, you know, a very unassuming, but out in the middle of nowhere and with something just wonderful smelling cooking on the pot. Mm. And, you know, then we start doing hag stuff. You know, and mind you, these players are not as experienced. And so if I'm sitting there with like you and some of the other veterans that we played with, I'm going to introduce this character and everyone's going to go, it's a hag. <laughs> 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 I know exactly how many hit points this thing has, um, you know, but with them, 
They're not really sure what it is. They just think, well, that's odd. Is he just doing something overly convenient? That seems kind of cheap. And then they start to realize that this lady's a little bit crazy. And then they start to realize she's a little malicious and magical. And I'm not sure she has our best interests in mind. And then we got into the really fun stuff where we started to make deals. Ooh. And uh, hags are a lot like devils in that way, in that the deal that you make with them can be really a lot of sinister fun. So, um, before getting into that, though, uh, hag, let me ask you, what is that? I mean, before pl- before starting to play D&D, I, I would have the image, whenever the word hag was used, of uh, the witches in Macbeth. Where it's Excellent this, example. And th- that's my favorite example, to be honest, where it's these these beings of tremendous mystery and power who are depicted as these wizened old women who know way more than they should and will give you what you want, but oh, the cost. But oh, the cost. It's very monkey's paw. Yeah. It's like the monkey's paw itself would be like, yo, chill, maybe give them something. <laughs> <laughs> like maybe they could have a chance to get out of this, possibly. No? Okay, no. cool, 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 cool. Uh, and and what they do in the story of Macbeth is is so interesting. And they all they really do is tell him what he's going to do. Mm-hmm. And they, what, what's interesting, they don't really intervene in any meaningful way other than to say, if you follow this course, here's what happens in the most vague way possible. Well, sure, because prophecy is always vague. Right. And then it and it goes to the uh, the payoff that we were talking about last time, right? Where it's like we're setting up with the vague, but then when we carry out, we have the payoff of the explicit to see like what occurs. And that's part of the fun of prophecy. Um, so... Um, Macbeth, you know, goes through the horrible process of becoming a monster and uh, rising to the top. And as many dictators and monsters do, come crashing down in a spectacular end. And it's just a wonderful story. He got everything that he wanted, but at a tremendous cost. Yes. Although, although I always wonder just how much Macbeth himself actually wanted it, because he was awfully reluctant, even when telling Lady Macbeth about all of it uh, right after getting home. Yeah, arguably the real hag of the story is Lady Macbeth, <laughs> right? <laughs> she completely, you know, just poisons his mind. Uh, but it's not like there wasn't something in there for him to latch on to. I mean... No matter how often my wife tells me that I should murder my friends that are staying over the night, I'm still not going to do it. Right? Ah, so I so I won't be staying with you when I come out and visit. <laughs> uh, well, my wife uh, falls asleep before anyone else, so you know I think you're okay. Fair point. <laughs> but um, yeah, like it is, and I think that talking about Lady Macbeth is interesting because. It kind of hits on one of the inherent problems that we find with the hag archetype, uh, which is uh, women bad, mm-hmm. right? Um, especially ugly ones, because they're not well, supposed to do that. 
Yeah, and it's and it's not just women bad or even ugly women bad. It is women who do not follow what society says that they have to be. Because one of the big things with Lady Macbeth is that she can't have kids. Correct. And so she's not a proper woman. She's not Correct. able to do the thing that women are supposed to do. I hope you can hear the quotation marks clanging <laughs> yeah. into place. <laughs> that, that's right. Yeah, we, we, we definitely hear it. But I mean, that she is far from, from alone in that trope and that use, right? And we see that uh, throughout mythology. Um, you know, Medusa, a very popular example of someone who is really the victim in the story. Yeah. Uh, and then strongly vilified in some of the later tellings. Uh, and I was interested to find that the word Medusa itself means protector. And a version of Medusa might have been uh, regarded as uh, more of a, a guardian spirit of a kind. I like that a lot. Kind of a... Keep keep what happened to me from happening to others. <laughs> yeah, perhaps so. Perhaps so. And, you know, so, you know, we can dive into that more, but there's lots of examples of this. And, and it's curious why this is often a woman. And and I think that you do a good job of, of explaining perhaps why that is. But there's also something about age itself mm. that appears to be off-putting in many cultures and even just to our natural inclinations. I can remember once as a child, just, you know, I think I must have been eight years old or so. Um, we were visiting my grandparents and uh, we were saying goodbye. And uh, my my grandmother asked uh, for me to kiss her goodbye. And I, I declined. I did not want to uh, because... She uh, was very aged, and uh, it was repelling to me in in sure. my in my idea. And we didn't really have uh, the rules about consent that we do now. Um, and so my parents strongly encouraged me that this would be a good gesture that I should do this. And um, you know, parenting's a little different now, of course. Yes. But. Um, uh, ultimately, I went through with it, and but it was a, it was a, actually a very scary thing for me, not because I felt like sexually uncomfortable, but because she was just gross, as far as I was concerned, which makes me sound like a monster in a way. But well, like, but, but but there is something that that like our whole society is built around this idea that you know youth is good and age is disgusting. Like if you see it precisely. in Hollywood, you see it in Hollywood all of the time, where like. It is specifically older women because people like, you know, George Clooney and whatever can be, you know, refined. They have aged like fine wine. But then they <laughs> but then uh when when their when their female co stars are cast, they're frequently between twenty to thirty years younger than them. And these are supposed to be their romantic pairings. Right. Or they turn evil like Glenn Close, right? Not yeah. not traditionally beautiful in that sense. You know, especially later on, so it makes a great Cruella Deville, right? Mm -hmm. um, and there's and there's lots of examples of that, and so uh, there is a lot to youth good, age bad. Disney is particularly egregious in this way. Um, the uh, very first animated film, Snow White, uh, the v main villain is a hag, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it is this idea of lost beauty and the bitterness that comes with that. Um, and we really haven't gotten too far. One of my favorite movies uh, that Disney has ever produced is Tangled. Tremendous movie. Mother Gothel is terrifying. Mother Gothel is another hag, right? Yeah. Essentially. And much the same way. I was I was youthful and beautiful, and it's gone, and I'm sad. Mm-hmm. I'm upset about that, and so I'm going to steal it. And I will do everything that I can to keep it, even if it is at the cost of other people. Yes. Uh, Ariel's uh, counterpart, um, why can't I remember? Ursula is essentially a hag. And and is also a, a powerful woman who does magic. Yes, absolutely. And so this idea of, you know, also women having power is scary, yeah. right? Let's make sure they don't do that. Um, so, you know, I, and I'm not just here to talk about that, of course, but it's it's worth noting, let's say, going in that this is kind of part of the history of the mythology. I mean, it's part of it, but but as you uh, note, um, it wasn't it wasn't always that way or isn't always that way in the traditional stories. Yeah, not always. And sometimes these characters were uh, more neutral, uh, maybe agents of chaos or tricksters, and in some cases, even benevolent. Um, There is a, a fine line between hag and fairy godmother. Of magical old woman. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, we've got the witch from Hansel and Gretel on one hand, right? Who is clearly, you know, a cannibalistic child murdering monster. Yes. But also, the whole idea is hey, kids, don't just glut yourselves with everything that you find enjoyable because there could be negative consequences. You know, and so there is a there's a story there. Uh, going back to Disney a little bit, you've got uh, Beauty and the Beast. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it always got me as it opened up in the prologue. Uh, why why the Beast is cursed and all of his all of his servants, and he's essentially cursed by a hag, and it's for not being nice. And in exchange, he has a lifetime of. <laughs> torment and transformation not only him but everyone associated with him uh has to endure this and then can only get out of it through the most like difficult means possible and so which seems like a bit of an overkill but i mean at least there's an attempt at a lesson there i suppose i mean i guess there, there there is the aspect of you know don't be rude to strangers on the doorstep but also like This lady was trying to stay in his house. (laughs) Like, that's kind of a thing. Yeah, you know, you don't. What about don't talk to strangers, right? Do we (laughs) we forget about that one? Stranger shows up at the doorstep and offers, you know, this child a a rose. Um, Stranger danger, slam the door, run front further into the house. Yeah, so, you know, that's one of the few problems i have with that movie which is you know again that movie is like wonderful you know it's really oh, it's really a great good. movie but it's like with any story if you really really try to work out the logic sometimes you're like wait a second and then you realize oh oh yeah that's not the point 
Um, so. Well, yeah, and, and, and I mean, fairy, fairy tale logic is like that. Another way that I think of hags is like, you know, the trope of the heroic youngest son, where, you know, the youngest yes. of three sons go, goes to find his brothers who have all screwed up somehow, usually by being impolite to an old person, and goes and actually completes the tasks that are supposed to be done, and thus he is rewarded, usually by a hag. There's, there's so many interesting stories that are similar to that. Uh, one of them, when I was like doing my little bit of research leading up to this, was an, was a, a Celtic tale about the, and I'm probably going to say this wrong, the, the Kayak, um, C-A-I-L-L-E-C-H. I don't know. Kailach? Um, what? Kailach, maybe? Yeah, that with, sounds with right. With kind of that on the back end? That's probably correct. Yeah. Um. And this was an old woman who stole the gold that this family had uh, been living on. And they were essentially punished for their good deed, right? And she stole all their gold. And so one of the, the there's three daughters in this story. And the three, the first, the eldest of the daughters goes out to seek her fortune, ends up coming across the woman, uh, agrees to work for her quickly discovers the lost gold and uh, runs it back home. On the way home, she's met with a horse who needs uh, maintenance done. She refuses to do so. She meets uh, a goat, refuses to help the goat, meets, um, you know, a, a few, like even some like places that ask for her help. So mm -hmm. there's like inanimate objects asking for help. And she says no. And then finally, at the end of her journey, she falls asleep in a mill. The um, the hag comes back to her lair, sees that the girl and the gold are gone, puts two and two together, goes out and looks for her, asks the horse, the horse sells her out, asks the goat, the goat sells her out, so on and so forth, finds her at the mill, right? And then uh, the second daughter, same deal, same exact story happens, same exact outcome. Both of them are turned to stone. Um and then the the youngest again, you know, like you said with the with the sons, as it often is, she goes out. She does the same thing, except she helps the horse and the goat and the mill and everything else on the way back, and they all protect her. All right, they all try to throw the the hag off the trail, and then mm -hmm. ultimately she's able to defeat the hag and free her sisters. So, uh, you know, something, something, be nice to animals, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> something, something, if it is within your means to help, then do. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, okay. Getting into, like, TTRPGs and other stories and, and games and, and myths that we want to create nowadays or even films, whatever. You know, we can, let's look at what are some of the, the tropes and expectations and and things that we can use to make an encounter with a hag particularly interesting. Mm -hmm. Now, one thing I find very interesting about them is that they're actually not particularly strong. No, I um, was actually really surprised. I was looking them up for uh, an encounter that I was running a couple years ago, and I was surprised by how uh, weak, especially individual hags are when they're in their coven of at least three. They're They're more powerful, but even so... They definitely need followers to, like, get through anything. They are not solo boss raid encounters, right? They will get 
absolutely wrecked. Um, you know, even like, okay, like I'm looking at the green hag in fifth edition and the green hag is a formidable creature, except it's a challenge rating three. Mm. You know, the thing's got 17 AC, which is substantial at low levels, but not impossible to pass. Yeah. And has 82 hit points. That would be a lot for one player to take out, but five? <laughs> That's nothing. Um, so this is not the kind of monster like an ogre where you could just place it on the board and say fight. This is a a character that you you have to build around and up to. One thing that they do really well in Baldur's Gate 3 is showing her impact, showing how others have interacted with her and sort of the the terror that she has left behind and the power that it has given her even now. And it's 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 one of the scariest parts of the game. Um, Interesting. Is is dealing with this hag. And again, it's not like she's that godlike. Um that's really fascinating. By the way, you want to see some scary hags, The Witcher 3 has these 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 this trio of witches and they are horrifying they are so scary they are so evil like you want to try to define evil it's them right wow they defined it like they just absolutely nail it in wait witcher 3 it's so so scary um anyway so one of the th- things that they do is use disguises um, they can, they're basically shapeshifters, they're tricksters, they are fey, at least in Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and so they are these sort of malevolent transformed beings that use our weaknesses as humans to help us bring about our own doom. So there's a lot of things that, that you and I would want in our lives. And perhaps some of those things we would want so desperately, we might even resort to desperate measures if the opportunity was presented. And that is really where their power is. Yeah. I, I'm actually looking at hags right now. What's fascinating to me is that there's three kinds that are defined in, in at least 5e. Uh, green hag, night hag, and sea hag. Yes. Fascinatingly, night hags are fiends, not fae. Yes, they are. That is true. Yes. And I love that because, you know, fiends and fae, they're the ones who, I mean, they're known for deals. And that's just, that's, that's so cool. That's so tasty to play with. Yes, indeed. And it, it is a, it's a very similar kind of thing where you're going to make that monkey's paw sort of pact. Like, I'm going to help you, but the cost is definitely going to outweigh the benefit. You know, like, I am going to punish you for wanting things. Mm-hmm. Right? And what's really fun is if you can get into the metaphysical desires that people have. So with my players, uh, one of them, her main bond is that she wants her father to be proud of her. And Aww. she has never felt that um, she was. And so the hag says, I can make your father proud of you. And... What would you do for that? And she says, I'll do anything. Oh, that is a terrible answer. It's accurate, but it's a terrible answer. And that's why I'm so proud of this player, because, of course, they have to know, right? Of course. 
But they're like, yeah, let's do it, man. Let's go for it. It's fun. Mm-hmm. Okay. So she promises her firstborn child. Oh, honey. And that's going to create some interesting storytelling as we go through the the process of, you know, thinking about becoming a parent and then perhaps coming to the conclusion of, I, you know, what I need from my father and what I need to be as a parent. You know, this is maybe not not squaring very well and maybe I'm starting to learn my lesson. And now I have to break the deal with a hag and deal with the consequences of that, right? Or perhaps we do go through with it. And uh, this is not the first time I've done this with a player. <laughs> Had them sell me their children, you know, to a hag. That yeah, is. That's, um, that's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. One of them, who was playing a Thrycreen. And uh, she said, I want to see the world as you do. So give me one of your antennae. And he oh. agreed. Oh, <laughs> oh honey. <laughs> okay. And then she just jammed it into her own head. Nope. <laughs> uh, man, we, we, we had a lot of fun. So, you know, she gives them some knickknacks and says, Use it this way. This is how it's going to help you. And again, that's this part of the setup payoff that we talk about. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I'm going to give you this potion. Here's how it's supposed to be used. Here's the intent that you're going to use it for. But then story will happen. And perhaps we will find a new application. Because uh, players do that. Throw the <laughs> monkey wrenches. <laughs> so... What's great about it is they all have plenty of power to just turn around and destroy her. Easily. But they but they don't. That is such a fascinating way to play with what the characters want and, in a sense, turning hope against them. Mm-hmm. I like that. I didn't think of it that way. Turning hope against them. How because very in- sinister. Isn't it just? Because what, <laughs> one of my opinions is that, uh, for, of horror, is that any horror story, whether it's a game or a book or a movie or whatever, there has to be hope or why would you keep fighting? But I also think that that hope has to be severely tested. And one of the great ways to do that is to dangle the hope to say, I can give you everything that you have wanted, this deep cry of your heart. All it will cost you. And I I think that there's a lot of power to that of turning their desires and turning their hope against them to um, elicit a dark night of the soul in the like story circle to have them be at their darkest point where they're like, what what will I give up? What will I sacrifice? Is this is what I want truly worth the price? Also, when they first make that deal, they're probably still early on in their sort of arc development. Mm-hmm. And so they don't discover what it is they need until later, until it's too late, until the deal's made. Right. And, but the, the hag is wise mm-hmm. and she's wise enough to know what it is you need. And it is that thing that she will demand. Because her ultimate motivation, the thing that the hag wants in most myths, is for you to suffer. 
Yeah. And in Dungeons and Dragons specifically, they essentially feed off of human suffering and their flesh, but a lot of their suffering. They enjoy the pain of mortal beings. And uh, so they're like truly sadistic, right? And it's, it's juxtaposed by this idea of presenting themselves as these um, essentially grandmothers, right? They're, your great auntie who's here <laughs> to, you know, bake you fresh cookies, you know, is the most wicked, horrible, evil thing you've ever encountered. You know, it's, it's such uh, that, that little bit of irony is like really, really delicious. Um, so this is the most fun part as a GM is like setting up what this deal is because it's all set up and payoff. And you're basically communicating indirectly with your players saying, here's what your arc is going to be, right? Like, it's almost a very on-the-nose way of addressing it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, okay, uh, my character wants to be strong enough to defeat all of his enemies. Great. So I'm going to give you lots of strength, but you're going to discover that there are times where you would like to be gentle. And there are times where you would like to love and preserve but now your touch is destruction, right? And now we're maybe we'll, that'll even turn into tragedy as you try to hold someone you love and then crush them or something like that. Go in the direction of Heracles. <laughs> yes, indeed, indeed, or King Midas. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, isn't this a great gift you have? Now, wouldn't it be a shame if it took everything you cared about away? Wouldn't that be just the shame? <laughs> They recognize desperation when they see it, right? And they'll take people in the most desperate, dire situations, which makes for great victims. If you want to save a victim from a hag, the victim shouldn't be just, I was lost and the hag found me necessarily, as it would be better to have them have sought her out for some reason. And there may even be an element of the victim not realizing that they are a victim. And so when you show up to literally save their lives, you may have to contend with them, too. Which is it, just so tasty, where it's like, I'm trying to help you. You don't understand the danger that you're in. She says she's going to give you everything that you want, but you don't know what that's going to cost you. And you might even end up having to, like sit on the person and keep them out of the fight and be like, sit down, go away. We're going to deal with this. Yeah. Uh, GM, how do I do non-lethal damage? Yeah. That that might be one of the situations where that comes up. Non, so, non-lethal, non-lethal Eldritch Blast is always a funny conversation. <laughs> right. I'm basically just punching them from far away. Sure. It's, it's force damage. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know why you can't just shoot someone in the leg. I think the idea that you can't do it with ranged attack seems silly to me. But yeah. um, anyway, the you're absolutely right. You may end up having to contend with, with the victim. Uh, you might also have to contend with past victims because, you know, maybe she's been collecting these lost souls and they're trapped within her little her little web, her maze. And maybe they even have some of her dark powers now. And so there's that. And then, of course, she can also access other fey creatures such as red caps and, <laughs> um, and banderhobs. Uh, I really enjoy banderhobs, too, because they're big, like, 
frog guys and they eat you. So that's cool. Oh, delightful. I'm not super <laughs> familiar with those. <laughs> yeah, Red Banner- caps I know because I know the mythology of that one and those little those little things scare me. Yeah, they well, they go together beautifully with hags because they're little old men who are super evil. <laughs> <laughs> the yin and the um, yang. So, um, yeah, the, that's great. So, really, when you get into, like, okay, we're going to have an encounter, like a combat encounter with a hag, the minions have got to be a big part of this. And in making them more personal to the hag and possibly to the party, the better. Even if it's like another monster, that monster might be there in order to, you know, get something that they want that might even be very relatable, right? Sure. And now they've got to uh, deal with that. So um, some of the abilities that the hags have, and I'm looking at the green hag, uh, but here's some of the, the spells that you'll see from hags, okay? Um, ray of sickness, hold person, bestow curse, uh, counterspell, phantasmal killer, polymorph, uh, scrying, contact other plane, eye bite. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, there is also stuff like lightning bolt, but like that's not like the rest of them are kind of on like point as far as like what the flavor of this encounter needs to be. She needs to be screwing around with the players and tormenting them all the way um, in order to, like, really get the the feeling across that you want to get. What fascinates me so much about them, too, is that their spellcasting ability is charisma. And that's just so good. Like, they can, they, they can use that to reach out and make you maybe want to drop your burdens. Is, isn't it? Isn't it heavy? Isn't it hard? Don't you want to rest? I can give you that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's see. Which would go with like sleep with the night hag. <laughs> yeah, I think the I'm, I'm getting some mixed information here on the thing I'm looking at. Um, it appears that some of them are int based, but some of them are charisma based, um, which is interesting. Uh, yeah. what, what what source are you looking at? I'm looking at the Roll Twenty Compendium. Okay, I'm I'm looking at the D and D Beyond source. Yeah. Um, maybe that's just for the Coven. Itself. I think I think that that's a big part of it. Uh, where is it? Because they have it in here. Um, Hag Covens, when all three members of a Hag Coven are within 30 feet of each other, they can each cast the following spells from the wizard spell um, list, but they must spare the they must share the spell slots amongst themselves. So they can okay. get as high as sixth level with that eye bite that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, but Hag and Covens are also just... Yeah. I see it now. Okay, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and we didn't even talk about the Covens, right? Um, it's also worth mentioning that they're basically synonymous with witches. Mm-hmm. So the coven in fifth edition is like, th- this is a hag and her children. Um, and her children are other children that she has kidnapped, uh, ingested. Um, then they sit inside of her womb for a week and then, she spits them back out, and then when they turn 13, they become hags. Terrifying. Yeah, so super fun. 
and they become um, the coven. In other mythologies, you see them as like sisters. And it's usually some kind of sister situation. Uh, the fates are also basically hags uh, with superpowers. Sometimes they even share things like eyes or body parts or something like that, where they have to all be together in order to like function. Yeah, uh, uh, the Disney Hercules played with that in a really like macabre, funny way with with the fates sharing the eye and everything. Yes, uh, I, I, I like a lot of what they did in Hercules. A lot of the, the characterizations in Hercules are always just like hilarious mm-hmm. and fantastic. Um, yeah, so um, I want to read a little bit about what it says here about her, because uh, one thing that we often skip when we're looking at monster entries in books like this is we go straight to the stat block, right? Yeah. And it's super important to read the stuff beforehand because they really explain how to get across that um, fantasy trope that you're looking for and the feeling that you want to, to give your party. The first thing it says is hags represent all that is evil and cruel. So, I mean, right away. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Though they resemble withered crones, there is nothing mortal about these monstrous creatures whose forms reflect only the wickedness in their hearts. Faces of evil. Ancient beings with origins in the Feywild. Hags are cankers on the mortal world. Their withered faces are framed by long, frayed hair. Horrid moles and warts dot their blotchy skin, and their long, skinny fingers are tipped by claws that can slice open flesh with a touch. Their simple clothes are always tattered and filthy. All hags possess magical powers, and some have an affinity for spellcasting. They can alter their forms or curse their foes, and their arrogance inspires them to view their magic as a challenge to the magic of the gods, whom they blaspheme at every opportunity. Hags name themselves in darkly whimsical ways, claiming monikers such as Black Morwen, Peggy Pigknuckle, <laughs> Grandmother Titchwillow, Nana Shug, Rotten Ethel, or Auntie Wormtooth. So, darkly whimsical. I think that's a, a good word to just keep in the mind when role-playing this. Um, that I talked Whim- about. Go ahead. Well, they're, they're whimsical and arrogant, which is such an interesting thing to to get to play with because it says in there that they believe their magic to be the equal to or greater than gods, and like that playing with that level of arrogance when they're really not that powerful, really. Like the highest one that I could find was was the night hag, who's a CR yeah. uh, five and a seven when she's in a coven. Yes. Players, by the time that they're level 10, can just kind of step on that. Yes. By themselves. <laughs> like, that's... And yet, that, that, that deep-seated arrogance, that deep-seated belief that, that leads them to thinking that they're the most cunning and treating everyone else like they're inferior is just fascinating to play with. Well, if, and, and the way that the storytelling and the encounter need to play out to be satisfying is you have to break down all of their tools. Right. If the players just rush through everything in one shot, her, it's not going to be satisfying for anyone. Right. Yeah. Um, except for maybe the one player that pulled that off. But even then, they're going to be somewhat disappointed, I think, because they're not going to have that. It's going to feel hollow. Like, it's it, feel like hollow. it wasn't actually earned. 
Yeah. And so you like, if she has a bunch of minions that are based on people's that she's captured before, this is a good opportunity to make a, a moral decision. Like, do I just kill them to get them out of the way? Or do I try to undo their curse, you know, and free them? You know, do I try to unravel this web that she has woven over the years in order to finally get at the heart? Right. And once you do get at the heart, you know, it is almost trivial. Um, her her influence is the real magic. Yeah, because, yeah, that that's fascinating to think about because it's not the power itself. It's the whisper from the shadows. I, indeed. And what is built up around her to make the, the, the creature in your head is much more powerful than the creature in reality. Exactly so. Exactly so. Especially if you just if you just play them right. And what's really fun when it comes to role playing a hag is you can ham it up. <laughs> <laughs> they are theatrical creatures. Their spellcasting ability is charisma. Man, lean into that. That's fun. Yeah, you get to be like super fun and super personality, super creepy, demented, and you just have fun. Just have fun. Practice that evil cackle. Right. <laughs> Do you have a good cackle? <laughs> Me? Good no, I'm no. terrible at that. Oh, my gosh. Um, get it, you talked about arrogance, and this gets into their bargains. Um, dark bargains. This is an another thing it says here. It says, arrogant to a fault, hags believe themselves to be the most cunning of creatures, and they treat all others as inferior. Even so, a hag is open to dealing with mortals as long as those mortals show the proper respect and deference. Over their long lives, hags accumulate much knowledge of local lore, dark creatures, and magic, which they are pleased to sell. Hags enjoy watching mortals bring out their own downfall, and a bargain with a hag is always dangerous. The terms of such bargains typically involve demands to compromise principles or to give up something dear, especially if the thing lost diminishes or negates the knowledge gained through the bargain. So that is about as good advice as I could give in just that little blurb about how to approach this. Yeah, I, I love that sort of thing. I love digging into that kind of thing. It's, yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, what's what's beautiful is that we all want something. Any any creature out there wants something. Yeah. And that potentially makes the hag uh, one of the most dangerous creatures in fiction. That's very true. Oh, man. I'm, I'm just thinking through, like, possible ideas of how to play that sort of thing. And I'm, I'm just spinning on that now. And I think it's I think it's tremendously fun. <laughs> Because I mean, you're you're right. Like, especially especially with adventurers, because you know everyone wants something, absolutely. But most people in like an adventuring world are more or less content to stay home, to right, inherit yeah. to to inherit their father's shop, or to become a wife and a mother, or whatever. They have desires, but they're small things. Adventurers are particularly susceptible to to hags if you play them right because they have dreams and hopes and ambitions that go so far beyond what an ordinary person might want and boy isn't it fun to turn that against them and that will definitely excite a hack you know 
And like, if you are the GM and you're, you're running your villains, it is so satisfying to defeat a stronger player with a weaker monster, mm-hmm. you know, by simply using the player's desires against them. Right. And it's even more fun if the other player knows that you're totally playing them, but is enjoying the fiction <laughs> and it's just going along, doing the dumb thing, uh, you know, having fun on the ride, you know? Absolutely, because it's great storytelling. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Ultimately, you know, you we do want our players to win. And in order for them to win, it can't just be about the hag's hit points, right? They have to defeat the hag's very premise, which is that mortal beings are controlled by their desires, that they will always choose pleasure over joy. Mm-hmm. Right. They'll always take the quick and easy over the long term meaningful. They'll take that one marshmallow instead of going for the s'more. Yeah, precisely right. So it is uh, they have to prove that first. And that should be the thing that is the most disarming to the hag. And, and that's just going to be really satisfying for your player, because then when they when they use the stroke of the sword or the flicker of the spell, then it is just the symbolic ending to that struggle. And as we said before, that part's actually not that hard. And and it does represent that the truest struggle is, I mean, much in the same way that Batman's villains are all reflections of themselves, um, a player dealing with, with a hag is learning how to, uh, as, as you alluded to, control their desires instead of their desires controlling them. Because you, as long as as long as you're alive, you're going to want something. That's fine, but those desires should not rule over you. You you should be able to control them, player characters. Although that does apply to real life too. Yeah, to say <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's kind of like what we learn as we grow up as adults, right? Exactly. Like, I very much love chocolate, but if I eat chocolate every day, I'm going to have a problem. <laughs> right? Yeah, very much so. I would prefer to just sleep for like 12 hours a day, but then I would get nothing <laughs> done and I would feel weak and useless and it would be horrible. By the way, I know it's not exactly the same, but since you're a Dragon Age fan, the, the hag very much reminds me of the sloth demon. Um, yes. The, the sloth demons were always the best ones. And that they they were always the most creative. The pride demon was always like it's a big demon, and the lust demon was 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 just so stereotypical. I'm it like, was, cool, you you gave us a succubus, well done. It was the yeah, it was the low hanging fruit. The sloth demon was like funny, but also super effective. Yeah, you know, and it, it had a lot in common with this. Well, anyway, uh, speaking of of wizened old people, I can feel. <laughs> my own uh fatigue coming on and uh this uh, uh show has reached the end of its lifespan i think this, this episode. episode this, this episode. episode at least because this show will continue join us again next week friends as we talk more about whatever comes into our heads to talk about as far as ttrpgs go <laughs> thank you all so much for joining us and until next time stay inspired Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Inspiration Point. If you'd like to support what we do, go and check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash inspiration point. If you can't support us directly, that's okay. You can also help support us by telling people about the podcast. A little inspiration goes a long way. Inspiration Point is edited and produced by Tiana Hansen and is distributed by Quest and Chaos. If you like what you hear with us, give Quest and Chaos YouTube or Twitch channels a visit. They play Dungeons and Dragons on a weekly basis and have a bunch of campaigns of Call of Cthulhu, D&D, and board game playthroughs archived on their YouTube. Join us next week for more inspiration. Thank you.